prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hey folks, it's producer Phil back with another Kyle Classics. While Kyle gets some well-deserved R&R during his Christmas vacation, before we kick things off, we have another awesome episode lined up. Kyle appeared on a Twitter Spaces with some pretty heavy hitters that I'll mention in a moment. Uh, before we get to that, just a reminder to everyone still looking for those five-star reviews, like this one from Hope, who wrote, I give you 100 stars. Thank you for giving us a perspective that the public rarely gets to see. Appreciate that five-star review, Hope. If uh, you'd like to put your five-star review on iTunes or elsewhere, please do, and maybe it'll get read on the show. Second reminder is that we still have the Give, Send, Go out there. An anonymous donor recently wrote, Great interview on Flashpoint. Thank you, Kyle, for having the courage to stand up and having done all to stand firm. We're a fellow Christian, patriot, federal, and military family that backs you. God bless you and your fellow whistleblower families. Appreciate that from the anonymous donor. All right, so let's set up the show. Kyle was invited on a Twitter Spaces recently that included Tom Fitton, Sebastian Gorka, and Congressman Thomas Massey. They get into a lot of different topics related to FBI controversies. And there were a lot of people on this call who wanted to talk over one another at times. I did my best to clean it up. You're going to hear things like Sebastian Gorka having technical issues. It's all packed in there. There'll also be some back and forth. Kyle will disappear at one point and reemerge at the end of the episode. But it's all interesting. And I think it's worth a listen. Let's do it. And uh, Kyle, I appreciate you coming up on stage. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Thanks for accepting the invite. Uh, would love you to do a quick intro um, on your background before we ask you some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a uh, indefinitely suspended FBI agent. Um, I worked in the Washington field office for five years. I spent uh, part of a year uh, working in New Mexico in Las Cruces under the Albuquerque division. I got two years of uh, counterintelligence time and three years of essentially counterterrorism time where I worked on a surveillance unit. Um, but uh, I kind of have a, a number of whistleblowers that I, I work with, and I've done some uh, theoretically congressionally protected uh, whistleblower activity. And, um, and so I've kind of gone to the public space with that since I stopped receiving my paycheck in June. I think the FBI still considers me an employee, although I do not really consider myself an FBI employee. Okay. And, and what was the reason um, that you left the FBI? Well, I, I was a, a, an objector to their COVID policy, which was uh, put out in the executive order 14043, I believe, in uh, September, November of last year. And at this exact same time, I also was uh, given access to this email that came in that said the FBI was tagging uh, parents at school boards under this threat tag called EDU threats, which is essentially a hashtag to, to identify um, intelligence that, that is gained from uh, different investigations or preliminary assessments. And so I, I kind of came forward with both of those things at the same time. Um, the FBI indefinitely suspended me, theoretically based on uh, a Second Amendment protected activity that I was involved in. I was out shooting in the desert in public land, and, and they claimed that was unprofessional, which is nonsensical. So I'm, I'm kind of an interesting uh, case right now. Like I said, the FBI doesn't know what to do with me, and I kind of don't know what to do with them. And uh, I've got a few questions because we're making a lot of assumptions here on the FBI. Um, the first question I have is behind the scenes, are you guys well staffed? How are the resources? Are you guys stretched thin? Because we are making, uh, you know, we're, we're being a bit critical on where those resources are focusing. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the FBI has the resources to do a lot of the things they want to do, but they also have to make, so, you know, it's a zero sum game in a lot of ways. Like there, there is an opportunity cost when you are going to spend your time um, doing an investigation into what they're calling mis or disinformation regarding election fraud. 
um, you know, something else is going to have to take a hit. Those resources come from something else. We could have intelligence analysts that are doing analysis of, um, you know, Chinese documents of, you know, Russian information coming through or, or um, operations that are being done. Or we can be looking into this sort of mis and disinformation on small follower accounts. Um, and, and I've been talking about this. You know, we've got tools that are in place, things like Babel X, which is a social media exploitation uh, software. They've got things like Data Miner. Uh, a thing called Zero Fox that was brought up to my attention the other day, which is apparently pretty worthless, but it exists. And and so, you know, people are going to have to spend a finite amount of time. They've got somewhere between eight and 10 hours in a day for the most part. And if they're using them on things that are not crimes and that are, um, you know, doing what I would say is invasion of the First Amendment protected activities of, uh, you know, people's free speech, the FBI is explicitly forbidden from doing that. And they are also exp explicitly from forbidden from doing that by proxy. You know, they can't walk in and ask a third party to do something that they could not do on their own. And that's where the real the real flag is for me. I looked at tweet number 26. That's a smoking gun for me. I've already brought that up to Matt Taibbi. It's like, look, you know, they can't, they can't get involved in that, that at all. And it also harkens back to something that I leaked to uh, to Project Veritas and, and uh, Harmie Dillon published the other day um, in, what, late October, where the FBI named two election crimes that are not crimes on their election crimes cheat sheet. And that came from the, um, uh, this, you know, this intelligence group that's out of, um, where is it out of? They're out of headquarters, their headquarters unit, the public corruption intelligence unit. They put this cheat sheet out saying mis and disinformation are crimes and they're not. And I think that's really important to note. By the way, for the panelists, anyone that has questions for Kyle, just feel free to put your hand up. I have so, one. So Kyle, really from, quick. Yeah, go, go ahead Tara. I just want to know, is, is child sexual exploitation a crime? Absolutely. And, uh, and I, you know, I think it's being overlooked in a lot of ways. Like uh, my buddy, uh, Stephen Friend, who, you know, I didn't know before any of this stuff happened. Um, but Stephen let me know that in, in no uncertain terms, every single FBI person, all 36,000 plus employees could spend every single day working on child trafficking, uh, child sexual exploitation, and we would still have work to do. We wouldn't get it all done. Um, they're the most busy squads at, at Washington field office. When I worked there, they did more arrests than almost anybody. You know, I think they did more arrests than the, the MS 13 and the gang squads. Um, there was an arrest or a, um, a search warrant operation happening weekly. And that is not common for federal investigations. Like these things generally take, you know, months and, and sometimes years. And these guys were doing turnaround guys and girls. I'll say we're doing turnarounds and dates because it's just, there's tons of work. Uh, yeah, Kyle, you mentioned that they were going uh, after these smaller accounts for, you know, misinformation or disinformation. What is sort of the justification that they use? What is the threat uh, that the FBI sees um, that justifies sort of going after these accounts? I can't defend it. So I, I don't know. Like some of the stuff that was tagged, even in like an Intercept article that I was commenting on, I went on the Bongino show maybe a month ago. And, uh, you know, Dan Bongino and I were talking about how there's a, a literally a parody account that said, send us your weed stores and hoes be mad. We're like in the bio and there were 56 followers and they were flagged, you know, um, by this San Francisco field office. The work that's going on by this, uh, this ASAC, this GS15, uh, Elvis Chan, you know, I'm really interested to see if, if, uh, Taibbi actually has, uh, information showing that uh, his uh, depositions were not entirely honest. I hope they were. I hope that he did his job the way he's supposed to do it. And he just had a misunderstanding of how it went about. But, you know, hopefully he didn't perjure himself because that would be incredibly incriminating. There's a lot of political animus that goes on, you know, um, at the upper echelons of the FBI. And I've heard it in no, you know, in no uh, confusing terms. It was very, very explicit to me that not only do we have one way of doing things, the FBI way of doing things, but there is a San Francisco way 
which is how we deal with big tech companies. And that's not that's not normal. Like nobody else has a special way of dealing with companies. But it apparently was set up through the San Francisco field office to deal with the tech companies differently than other, you know, different uh, other legal process and other um, companies that are out there that we deal with for requesting information. Can you define this San Francisco way just so so we're clear on that? Well, I don't know exactly what it involves. It's just a, a route and a, and a way that they they produce legal process. I'm sure that it still probably follows generally the way I, I, I people that told me they just said like they heard about this and they thought it was strange. You know, I don't get a hundred percent clarity on a lot of this stuff. And some of these things, like they were talking about FISA, so we weren't going to talk about FISA in an unclassified setting. But it was enough that people brought it up to me. They thought it was concerning. Uh, and I've got a couple hundred folks in the FBI, like on any given day, that are in you know end-to-end -end encrypted apps that we discuss these kind of things. We just don't vary into the realm of things that would be considered national security because it's dangerous. Yeah, Kyle, Tom Fitton over at Judicial Watch. I appreciate your uh, public service, um, which is probably more important now than it was when you were at the FBI, frankly. You know, one thing that Chan noted, the senior FBI agent, a special agent in San Francisco, was that these requests that we're seeing now, evidently, uh, didn't come from low-level FBI agents. They had to be approved uh, by FBI headquarters before they were sent over to Twitter. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily excuse the role of these other agents. So you have, let's say, 80 agents involved here and countless others involved in, you know, the, the current abusive investigations that are going on. You know, and some defenders of the FBI say, well, you know, it's the leadership. Well, you know, I don't know how many regular agents have to be involved in obviously shady uh, abuses of power by the federal government before we might think there's a, a compromised systemic issue at the agency. What, what's your view on that? Is, is the agency redeemable based on your experience there? Or do we need to do a, um, uh, a, a rethinking of it in the sense of um, uh, doling out its powers and responsibilities to maybe to other agencies or new ones? Yeah, I tend towards the, the latter on, on that uh, topic. Um, I I know that there are great people that work in the FBI. I'm friends with many of them. There's plenty of them I don't know who do outstanding work. The danger with a, an agency that looks at itself, you know, everybody here is probably looking at the FBI as a law enforcement entity. And I'm beating this drum that it really considers itself an intelligence agency first. And you don't have to look any further than the domestic, in, uh, domestic intelligence and operations guide, which tells us that they consider it first. It's the first thing that's listed. FBI is intelligence agency. And so when you have an intelligence agency with a law enforcement capability, you've got a lot of danger. The second thing is, is that intelligence agencies are not transparent by their nature. That is the opposite of what we see with local law enforcement and state law enforcement. They don't have that same sort of problem. They may have intelligence units, but their job is to share information you know, to people who are doing enforcement actions. So there's a lot of people that work within the FBI that are either have their head buried in the sand and are not paying attention. I've had conversations, you know, this calendar year in April, people who had never heard of Hunter Biden's laptop or anything that was going on that had, uh, you know, they just, they don't know and they don't want to know. They just want to do the work they're doing. And I don't fault them for that per se, but you're a federal agency that has federal authorities that are across the entire nation. You kind of have a responsibility to know what's going on, you know, globally. And I read left and right wing news, you know, I kind of, I, I have to uh, assess for bias at the same time, but I want to know what everybody is talking about because I think it's relevant, and that's not that's not common or or necessarily um, you know across the all the um, the personnel in all the different offices. So the real danger is is we we talk about the quote unquote good men and women of the FBI. There are some you know the rank and file. There's a lot of people that got to go along to get along, and I'm not saying that they knew what they were doing at the time necessarily, but there's you know obvious constitutional 
issues at play right here. And there's, you know, there's no way that you can say that censorship or getting involved in First Amendment protected activities or the analysts that are writing, you know, documents, you know, one of the things that my group, you know, put forward was this um, militia violent extremist symbols guide, which showed the Betsy Ross flag and it showed um, the Gadsden flag and the 1835, you know, Gonzalez battle flag. And it says right on the front, you know, like, you know, these symbols do not necessarily indicate that they're a problem because they could be First Amendment protected. But here's a bunch of problems we have. Like a caveat doesn't cover it when you have the authorities and the powers that the FBI has. So I'd be I'd be keen to a bunch of different ideas. I'm actually doing kind of a, a small podcast where we're interviewing former FBI agents, people who are retired or people who have left the agency and discussed. And I want to know what they think because they all have solution ideas. These are the people that need to be at the table deciding. But as it is, the FBI's brand is very tarnished. It is it is tarnished to the point of being broken. You know, 50 percent of this country is not going to open the door and talk to them and considers them an enemy because because the FBI has named them as enemies themselves. So that's really dangerous stuff. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Uh, Very fascinating stuff here. Um, So from your experiences, what do you think and what do what are your instincts telling you predominantly dictates the culture of what is seems to be more and more um, of uh, ridiculous prioritization? Uh, of, of of what we're seeing here, of, of what the FBI prioritizes its uh, its energy and time. So I've got speculation. I, d- I don't have um, hard facts to back this up. This is my instinct. So you're asking for that. I'll give it to you. Um, yep. It's my belief that the FBI continues to hire less law enforcement and military background people, people who understand what that oath of office kind of involves and, and what an unlawful order might look like. And at the same time, they're hiring people with higher, um, you know, college degrees and, and, and more, you know, post- uh, bachelor type education. We have a lot of masters and, and a lot of PhDs level people that are working in the analytical end. When you consider, uh, and this is a post 9-11 phenomenon, this is a, you know, a director Mueller and on sort of thing. When you consider um, that intelligence is just information and the only reason that it's of any value is if you have somebody that can analyze it, then you start ha- hiring a lot of analytical types. And my understanding is this happened over at the CIA as well. Um, people have told me that that was the instinct they had. So you take all these analytical types, like I said, most of them with advanced degrees, most of them with a lot more um, sort of schooling. There is a left-wing bias that comes with a lot of those people based on their life experience of being in collegiate you know, environments where they, they are, in fact, just in college classes and they're getting a lot of uh, indoctrination at the same time as information. And when you bring those types of people, you change the sort of – it's not really a conservative environment in the FBI, at least historically. I think it was more of like a libertarian. Uh, a lot of people, nobody really wore their politics on their sleeve. The guys that I talked to and the, and the women that have, that have spent, you know, 20 or 30 years and they're out now and they're just, they're just leaving the agency. The big switch they saw was 2015, 2016. Um, they saw that there was a, you know, kind of a, a big change. Um, and, and that's right when I walked into it. So I only knew it that way. Um, but I do think that this, this view that we should be influencing policy and that we should get involved in that sort of stuff. And I say we just as a former FBI guy who still associates with that community. Um, it's based on a different type of person. When the personnel change, then the, the priorities change. And, and that's when I saw things like in the Albuquerque field office, they were prioritizing enforcement of the FACE Act, which is the free access to clinic entrances. Um, and I don't have the U.S. code off the top of my head anymore, but there's a two parts to that. It says that you can't block the entrance to abortion clinics. I think we all know that that's part of the federal law. You can't do that. Um, but the second part of it is you can't block the entrance to churches and houses of worship. And I've seen zero federal cases going forward with that, but we have seen people arrested for protesting outside of abortion clinics and doing pro-life activities. That's a really weird thing to spend FBI resources that, you know, 
If you're doing that, you're not doing gang enforcement. You're not doing the stop of fentanyl coming off the southern border. You know, there's unlimited amounts of cases for trafficking. There's unlimited amounts of cases for federal gang interactions in RICO. There's unlimited amounts of federal fraud, which is a really, really difficult uh, work to do. And if you're going to be hiring people that have lawyers and are, that are CPAs, like that's where they should be focusing their time. And a lot of times they end up in, you know, a Chinese counterintelligence squad like I did. And it's like, what, what the heck are we doing with these people? The, the FBI doesn't allocate its resources very well. And they certainly don't care what your previous background is um, when they assign you to a squad. They just assign you because everybody is as good as any other body. And, uh, and people don't realize that. Like that's, you know, my background was as a, as a, a medic in the military. And I had like very direct action type understanding how to do things. I would be great on a, a squad that did criminal warrants. My first thing was a non-criminal, non-espionage you know, espionage assignment looking at what we call foreign uh, Chinese counterintelligence. But that, that's kind of bizarre. But it, and it doesn't make any sense to anybody that I've talked to, but that's the standard for the Bureau. So, and one, one, last, one last follow-up question really, really quick to that, Kyle. And thank you for that elaborate answer. Appreciate it. Um, in your opinion, this new, uh, the new trajectory trends of the FBI's new hiring processes and the, and the people that they're hiring, do you think this is uh, by design or do you think it is just uh, more, more overall uh, a sign of, uh, is, is there just not enough new hires or not enough new applicants out there to fill the positions that, that, that are um, trying to get positions at the FBI? So I think the Bureau is facing the same problems that the United States military faces, but it's in a different, you know, it's a different subset, but it's the same problem. Sure. Um, you know, you've got very patriotic, um, American minded. They they love this country and they want to serve this country, but they're looking at sort of the sort of woke indoctrination, the the politicization of the military, which was never really there before. Like I served with people of every different background. I served with people. What do you what do you who, mean by sorry, Kyle? Uh, what do you mean by woke indoctrination? Uh, it's the same kind of stuff that I'm seeing, um, you know, when they're telling you that there's a gender ideology that needs to be enforced, that men and women um, can self-identify with a different gender. You know, these are fundamentally, they're, they're antithetical to the way that I grew up. Like it, it, men and women do not belong on the same plane when it comes to physicality. I don't care what anyone says. Like I, I was in special operations training. I spent all my time like working with like the top, you know, 0.1% of physical creatures. We had guys that went through the NFL combine that, that couldn't pass our um, our assessments because you had to also swim and, and, and they would drown you and stuff like that. And there's a lot of mental hardness to it. And they did the studies like these studies are, have already been done by the military with willing participants. And they, they strat like they, there's a stratified physical performance metric to do a lot of this stuff. Like men uh, that are in special operations are like tier one, tier two is like, you know, the rest of the men. And then tier three was mostly women with a little bit of overlap in there. It, it, you know, and I'm not trying to be controversial about it. I'm just saying that like, if you've ever been hit by a man and hit by a woman, there are very few women in the world that are going to be in that same category. So I, I know Jordan Peterson talks about this at length. You guys can, you know, set, you know, suss this out. I'm not here to make that political statement, but when you get down to it, you know, uh, unit cohesion is a problem. People signed up to do a specific type of mission. That mission doesn't exist in the same way. If we're going to be pushing, you know, uh, the, the, the ideologies that are not meant to be part of the military, it's really not supposed to be a social experiment. You know, we we spend a lot of time kicking people out that that have flat feet and they have scoliosis and they, and they can't you know bend and touch their toes properly. And then you're going to bring in people that have you know issues or anxiety issues that uh, that are just antithetical to military service, in my opinion. Uh, uh, FBI, Kyle, before before we go to other panelists, I just want to interrupt you because I just got messages verified by the team from another whistleblower, and I want to read them out if you don't mind, Kyle, and get you to comment on them. 
Um, sure. For anyone that has questions, you can put them in the comments, bottom right corner. But these were not from the audience. This is by another whistleblower. So I'm just going to read it out now. And then I know Malcolm was going to was had his hand up. So we'll go to Malcolm afterwards. But I'll read the first one. So it's four points. I'll read them one by one and get your comments on them. The first okay. one, the Twitter files are only a small portion of the electronic surveillance apparatus that takes place on social media or in social media platforms. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Yes, clearly. I mean, it's, it's a snapshot. There's no doubt. Okay. Number two, lawful intercepts are real and the legal involvement that the FBI leverages to collect intelligence from the users of the platform has been around since day one of Twitter. Um, as far as day one of Twitter, I wasn't privy to that. What I can say is that I saw things that I would call abuses of the, uh, the FBI's uh, authorities under 702 the, of the FISA. Um, so there's no question, and I brought this up to Congress, this is nothing new to anybody that's paying attention. Um, Senator Mike Lee was well aware of this stuff too. Yeah, lawful intercepts happen. Um, unlawful use of that can happen oftentimes either with uh, poor training or a, a, a poorly defined mission set. It's really difficult to figure out how to use 702 FISA material in a lawful way other than just um, that it exists. The minute that you start trying to use it operationally uh, as, a, as an FBI agent, you're going to have trouble. So I, I would agree that that's probably true, but I don't have specifics about Twitter being uh, intercepted from day one. Okay, the third out of the four points, as a former XXX official, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, there are still former, former intelligence agents that work for these companies. He's referring to the social media companies. They don't 100%. actively report. They don't actively report play by plays to their former agencies, but the relationships they have are always leveraged. As you can see with my whistleblowing event, some issues get reported more than others. So you said 100% yes. on that one. Yeah, 100%. There are absolutely. So I, I've kind of called it, and I guess somebody came up with this in 2014 because it, it shows up in internet searches, but it, there's an information industrial complex. There's no question about that. And in the same way that former military members were feeding into that, um, you know, that military industrial complex, whether it was Raytheon or General Electric or any of the type of defense contractors. And, and, and part of it is because their, their experience is valuable, right? They, they have a knowledge set that is of use. The other piece is that they have a connection set that's of use. And, and so there's no question that the intelligence agencies, and there's a number of them, all the IC definitely feeds people into big tech um, and into um, some other places that are going to be sort of analogous to that, whether it be your Verizons or your, your T-Mobiles and stuff like that. You know, they're hiring these people because they have a skill set of value of handling information and knowing what to do with it and policing it and so on. So, yes, absolutely. And the last point is, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big point, but there is no expectation of privacy on social media platforms. That's a pretty extreme take on everything. That's 100% accurate, though. So it's, it's yeah, easily it's searchable. Too, because Edward Snowden, I mean, he pretty much disclosed what was going on. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, you could you can sit there and I mean, like as an agent, if you have a target, you can go and use it. If there's a tool, and there are tools, like I like I said, the, the FBI pays millions of dollars for social media exploitation tools. There's a there's an acronym for it. It's SOMEX, and there's there's people all over the you know the field and and at headquarters that do this. So whether it's broad or narrow, and the and the question of how broad and how narrow is where the the constitutionality comes in. Um, I've given the example that if they went and, and tried to pull every you know bio that said ultra MAGA or had a Ukrainian flag in it or whatever your your take is and and tried to identify those, that's clearly going to be really dangerous stuff and probably unconstitutional. But uh, targeting people who are you know exchanging information about pipe bombs, um, you know, in Detroit for this coming weekend, that that's probably okay. I mean, you probably want that done. So no expectation of privacy. That's true. 
Um, if it's not end-to-end -end encrypted, uh, you pretty much should assume that it's accessible by people and they may or may not want to share it with other people. And as far as I know, uh, Twitter messages, does anyone know, are they uh, encrypted end-to-end? -end? No. Not yet. And what's not funny, wasn't, Ian, wasn't the, the communication portal between the FBI and Twitter encrypted? That was, yes, it's teleport. Teleporter, it is 100% encrypted. So, teleporter, tele so, the, so the teleporter between the FBI and Twitter was encrypted. Okay, um, I'll go to yeah, Malcolm, yeah, yeah. but just to, to conclude for the audience, so so Kyle just mentioned, uh, it just commented on the four points, and I'll read the four points very briefly. The Twitter files are only a small portion of, of the surveillance by the FBI on all social media platforms. Lawful intercepts are real, um, and they can be abused at times. And then the third one is um, there are still many ex-FBI agents at the various social media platforms, and they do report to the agencies, just not play by play. And then the fourth one is a pretty extreme statement is there is no expectation of privacy on social media platforms. Malcolm. Really, really quick. I don't want to cut, but I just have to say something. Uh, just really quick, Malcolm, I'm sorry. Just how incredible it is to be sitting here real time have an ex-CIA agent on the panel, have an ex-FBI agent on the panel, real time. I mean, these are. this is incredible. This is something we never want to lose. This is exactly what we all have been fighting for, to be able to do what we are doing right here, right now. So I just want to commend you all and thank you all for your bravery and speaking up and using your voices to come here and share uh, pertinent information with us. Hey, just, and I don't want to cut off either, but I will thank you for that comment. But Kyle hit the, the nail on the head with the only being the tip of the iceberg of what is available. Um, Twitter's a gift. You know, Elon Musk gave a gift. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to show you this stuff. The truth is the hard work's going to ha have to happen after this because Twitter, you know, it doesn't matter if you write it up left-leaning or right-leaning. The job is going to be for people to take a close look at what's being put out and then send out FOIA requests. Uh, journalists have to look at what corporate structures are being used to facilitate uh, the action that's occurring. Because uh, what you're seeing from Twitter is basically the tool. You're not seeing the user. So to get at that, it's going to take a lot of work. And uh, I'll leave it at that and I'll jump out here and, and say, you know, from our perspective, we're focused mostly on COVID-related issues for federal government employees, but we feel that's important for every American out there, everybody across the, across the globe. So I'll step out. Thanks so, for uh, Mario, if you're talking, it, please forgive Welcome. me because I Go cannot ahead. hear, you know, for some odd reason, I can't hear you. But um, I did also have to ask Kyle, um, was it, you know, just two questions. First off, Given what we know about the information sharing and the co-mingling between the intelligence agencies and Twitter and how they were basically acting as a subsidiary, I saw that where Twitter had a rudimentary AI, you know, I don't think Elon would classify it as anything sophisticated, but it still fell under the parameters or guidance of an AI. And so with the FBI working so closely, this AI had terms which are intentionally used to catch up right-wing or right-leaning trends and people and suppress them. So would the FBI have had access to that tool and use those keywords, search phrases, or queries, which are continuously expanding? And would they have actioned or used those in their pursuit of accounts? And also, just uh, another follow-up question to that. 
in regards to say the in regards Mario, to say the access to um, let's say um positions so I'll, I'll let you answer the questions the question kyle uh, while i fix malcolm i'm going to bring you back up so then your mic is fixed and you could hear me uh, do you want to answer the first point, Kyle, regarding the access the FBI had to the AI tools at Twitter? Yeah, I can't speak to that individually or specifically. I, I wasn't part of a team that would have done that. That would have been most likely a headquarters group. It, it sounds like that there was a, a lot of interplay between them. You know, the FBI has their own tools. And like I mentioned, a couple of them, uh, Zero Fox is one of them. It's apparently AI driven. Um, I don't know how primitive it is because people tell me it's not super effective, but it does exist. You know, they've got tools like Babel X, which are going to be kind of a combination thereof. Um, and then there are and data miner was another one of these things minor with it's uh and you know it ends in mr it misses some letter i guess that's a cleverness that people use but there are ai tools that the bureau can can utilize um what is really strange for me when i look at it and i brought this up to taibi as well is that a lot of companies are are loath to work with law enforcement because one it's a pain and two they feel it's like a betrayal of their customer base or their user base and so, you know, uh, and the one I brought up to him, I knew specifically was T-Mobile is very happy to disclose legal process that served to them unless we keep it under wraps on a regular basis. Like every 90 days, we have to update it and tell them that we want to continue this, you know, this kind of gag order on what we've, we've asked for. And if we fall behind on our paperwork, like they go and tell the user, hey, the FBI asked for all your stuff, whatever that thing may be. And, and I actually think that's really good. Like I, I'm a... Um, a father and a husband first, and I'm a citizen second, like kind of the top two. An FBI agent was a dish and third. It was a job. It's a job that I loved. But we really need to consider ourselves like, what is the America that you're going to live in? And do you really want corporations bending over backwards to accommodate the federal government when they can just as easily tell them, hey, go get, go get a court order? And I've never found that to be a very frustrating thing. Like we're supposed to do things in the right way. That's what you should expect from your federal law enforcement. Very dangerous to think that they would, you know, positively collude with them and and positively sort of bend over backwards to give it. And so that master slash canine relationship that Taibi was was mentioning, one, it looks like that's true. Two, it's really troubling to me. And it's not the first time I heard that. Like there's been meetings with Reddit and some of the other groups that have a lot of people's public information. And it's not publicly, you know, it's publicly available. And they have no expectation of privacy. But the FBI cannot be enforcing terms of service for a private company. That's craziness. And, and it, it appears that they were. It's important, you know. Let, let me be blunt. The FBI can't be redeemed. Uh, it is uh, structurally uh, inconsistent. You know that they consider themselves uh, above the law in how they manage the powers entrusted to them by the American people. Uh, similarly, the Justice Department can't be trusted as well. And so, you know, that's the challenge we have. And for any whistleblower, Judicial Watch has been representing whistleblowers. For decades, including folks from the FBI, yeah, uh, let me let me be, and I'm sure this comports with Kyle's. Experience, if if of course I'm the lawyer, but I've got a little practical experience in how this how this goes. The decision a whistleblower has to make is: Do I keep on working in the agency or do I leave? Because once they decide to do the right thing, they're out. Their their career is destroyed. Uh, it's made impossible for them to continue to work there. So everyone who's there has made a compromise. I don't suggest it's an immoral compromise, but a compromise to continue working at an agency that they know is morally deficient and uh, constitutionally at odds uh, with the American people. Uh, so that's the challenge we have. And we're seeing evidence of this in the FBI's files here. 
This is petty juvenile work by agents who are happy to be. Can you think of an easier job than to be looking at people's tweets and tattling on them to uh, Twitter? Talk about uh-huh. a loser, a loser approach. And, uh, you know, and, and I'll just end with this. Yeah, one of one of my favorite FBI guys, former FBI guys, used to tell me that, and this is probably something everyone's heard, somewhat for a fashion or another, is that you've got big cases, big problems; small cases, small problems; no cases, no problems. And in the case of this election misinformation, there wasn't a big case; it was a small case. And it was actually no case, practically speaking, since they were just making it up as they went along. What what a what a uh, what a uh, indictment of the FBI these files are. I'll go, Kyle. I, as you respond, Kyle, and then I'll give it to Brian. Um, Kyle, um, as you respond, I'd love you to also tell us once you respond. Um, I want you to focus on the positives of the FBI as well, because I know that there's a lot of great points to be critical about, but I want to try to get it balanced out as well on um, you know the the work they're doing and, and what they're doing to improve on those uh, if anything really on those concerns that we're we're voicing well what i wanted to kind of it's a point correction and it's a uh, semantics but i think it's relevant when we use the uh, a lot of people are using the term fbi agents there's only you know 13,600 under 14,000 fbi agents of the 36,000 employees so the majority the majority of um, FBI employees, and I'll use that word very specifically, are not agents. Most of them are analytical personnel or professional support. And a lot of the work that you're seeing these back and forth do not have to take place between agents and, uh, you know, and these companies and and specifically Twitter in this case. It can be analytical types, which is going to be your intelligence analysts. It's going to be our squad operations specialist, which is an intel position. There are people called MAPAs, which is a management and program analyst. So all of these these people may be touching data and forwarding things along. And, uh, you know, analysts do a lot of the work and they're doing a lot of, um, you know, kind of the, the, the legwork when it comes to these contacts. And I also find them to be more left leaning. That's just a, just a general piece of being, I think, educated at the level that a lot of them are. So that's just worth noting as a semantic point. Um, the second thing is, is, yeah, there's tons of great work going on. You're never going to hear about it because it's not inflammatory, but that doesn't mean that the FBI can be saved. And I think those two things can be true at once. The FBI can currently, right now, today, be doing very good work for like by really good people. They're stopping, you know, threats. That some of them are quietly in- interrupting terrorism, although I think they're more likely like creating terrorism. That's kind of a, an FBI move, and it's something that I've been quoted by saying is like the demand for it right now uh, it outstrips the supply. So we're happy to do these sort of setup jobs. Sorry, um, can you and, and, sorry, sorry, demand for what exactly? Well, the demand for domestic terrorism, I believe, uh, outstrips the supply. Um, you know, I've talked to Trevor, Trevor Aronson, and, and we probably don't agree on a lot of things politically, but he and I both understand that what the FBI was doing in the international terrorism space, which was these kind of put up jobs and low IQ, low information types that were getting offered all these you know, terrible opportunities to commit a crime that they thought was a good idea. Um, we're doing that to domestic terrorists as well. Like we're happy to fund it. My, my general rule, and this is funny, you can just put this out to everybody. We got what, 14,000 people listening. If somebody meets you, and you've never met them before, and they want to co-sign or agree with all of your worst ideas, like whatever your terrible ideas are, um, and and they agree with them. And not only that, but they have the money and the ability to help you make it happen for like exactly as much money as you have. Like you want a suppressed Glock 19 handgun, and you got 618 bucks in the bank, and they want 600. Like that's not how much it costs. So like that's what the FBI does. We do these put up jobs, 
where we're willing to, you know, enable people who would never otherwise have the ability to execute a plan. And then, of course, they never did because the FBI stops them right away. So that's, you know what that's we the call it, people, We call it glowies. Yes. People do that at glowies. Yes. They, they like glow. you up. Yep. They're, and they fat post too. That's the, what they're doing is fat posting. They put a piece of bait out there, you know, you have some, like uh, some girl and uh, she's going to say all the nice things that, you know, all these trad males, these incels uh, want to hear, you know, they want to hear a woman say that, oh yeah, women belong in the kitchen. So guess what? You know, she's going to echo every single thing that they, you know, every little dumb point that they make and then put them up to some, 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 some bullshit and then arrest them like two months later fun. <laughs> I, I would say that it's unlikely that FBI agents are doing that or doing a, what we'll call online undercovers. That's not really a move that would make a lot of sense. But getting um, sources signed up that do things because not all source work is going to be explicitly managed is is a real possibility. And, and you know, we, we probably agree on some of the things here. One of my favorite memes is a picture of two guys in suits. They're both wearing um, cartoon masks. One of them is a guy and one of them is like a, you know, like a, I don't know, emo girl. And it's a, it's like somewhere on the internet right now, you know, uh, an FBI agent is trying to convince a CIA agent to do like, to do a terrorism. And it's like, OMG, do a terrorism. And, and, and it makes me crack up. Like, I, <laughs> that's totally plausible. I don't know that it's actually happening, but the idea that the thought experiment that we are constantly doing this thing and, and kind of trolling the internet to find, it, it tells us one, how safe a country we live in, which is incredibly safe for the number of people we have. And then also, you know, we, we've lost the focus on international terrorism in such ways because we started looking at, you know, I think the, the mission creep happened that we were looking at the Al-Qaeda, we were looking at the, you know, the ISIS types and the Al-Shababs or whatever else, Islamic terrorism. And then we started looking at homegrown violent extremists. For those of you that follow that kind of thing, like HVE is the gateway. That's the people that are domestically born, but foreign inspired. And then once you're looking at domestic terrorism, that is, uh, even if it's foreign inspired, well, you might as well look at all domestic terrorism. And that's kind of where the FBI and DHS and some of these other agencies have gone. That's the danger, because where do you turn that off? Like, they're all looking for a mission. They're all looking to make their mission. Their money creep, yeah. 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 So uh, real, quickly, uh, Ian, so first, Ian, I've sent you a DM about a special guest that I'm trying to bring them in. So just check my WhatsApp. In the meantime, uh, I'm going right. to go to Brian, Malcolm, and then Harrison. And then after that, Kyle, I want to kind of really end it by by getting your final thoughts on uh, you know what what else we can expect from twitter files and and how 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 much worse is it because you mentioned in one of the things the other whistleblower mentioned and you confirmed is that this is barely the tip of the iceberg so we'll touch on that at the end and i see mr goka also uh, put his hand up so i'm going to bring up sebastian uh, brian i know you tried to unmute earlier so i'll give you the mic when i interrupted you yeah malcolm's been trying to speak for a while as well yeah, so I've got Brian and then right after Malcolm, because I know Malcolm had issues before. Um, hopefully he can yeah, hear me no, now. No, Brian, no. go ahead and then we'll go Malcolm. I, I appreciate everybody's, uh, I, I, I think it is a concern that the way Twitter is banning individuals, especially conservatives. But I, I also want to remind people that the FBI's aren't the bad guys. There's thousands of FBI agents out there protecting this country every day. And whether it's child predators or terrorism, or a number of other things. I, I think that they easily get bad names and it would be nice to have an FBI agent, a non-disgruntled FBI agent on the show and, and let them weigh in as well. Because I, I, I think that over the course of the last three or four years, the FBI has taken a lot of heat and those agents who are working tirelessly to protect this country, I don't think they get appreciated enough uh, so I, I think it's our responsibility not jump to conspiracy theories. 
find the facts, listen to the facts, and get all the information before really jumping on yourself. Brian, are you implying that Kyle is disgruntled? I'm just curious. I, I, I wouldn't say Kyle's disgruntled. I, I think he's he left the FBI on terms that I, I don't think he's him or the FBI are happy about. So, I mean, I guess you could say that he might have biases like we all have biases. Uh, Kyle, maybe you want to respond quickly to that one uh, before we move on to the next question. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm probably friends with more FBI agents than any of you all, and uh, I think there are a lot of them really great. So I have no beef with uh, saying that. I think that's 100% true. And even the people that are great agents, even even FBI agents who are are doing good work and are great people, and there's no question that they exist. Like I, like I said, I have probably more friends in the FBI than any of you all. The, the odds are pretty high. And, and I respect them and I respect what they do. If we got together and have a beer, all we do is talk about what's wrong with the FBI. That's the most common thing that two FBI agents, or if you got five together, then you're going to be fighting to get your word in because everybody knows what's wrong with it internally. And, and that's not to say that they're not pleased with the things that they're involved in. It's just the greater organization as a, you know, as a kind of an entity, it's, it's unruly and it's not the individual great work. So you can have two things be true at once. The FBI can be very, very, you know, sort of corrupted and and broken in a lot of ways and still be, you know, just being kept on the, the right track, barely by good people. So that's all I would say. Uh, Malcolm, I know you've been trying to speak for a while. Yeah, uh, it seems uh, everybody's getting bit uh, by technical uh, bug. Uh, yeah, and your mic, your mic is a bit. Uh, there's a lot of background noise. So I'm not sure if you can make your mic a bit clearer. I tried to say it earlier, but I guess you couldn't hear me. If you have, the best to unplug your Bluetooth. Also, Mario, when you leave your mic open, there's a lot of back feed coming from your mic. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, I'll, fi- I'll try to fix I'll that now. All right, go ahead, right, go uh, ahead Michael. Michael. Take number two. Can you hear me all right, first off? No, bro, it's no, bro, a lot worse. It's a lot worse. So we'll, we'll so go to we'll Tom, go Malcolm, Tom. and then you're right, we'll, you're right after, I promise, uh, as soon as you fix your mic. Uh, Tom, I'll let you go, and then we'll go to Malcolm, and then we'll kind of end it with Harrison. <laughs> Well, I was going to make some closing remarks. I don't know if you if you were at that stage yet. So yeah, I'll maybe I'll, I'll, let, I'll give you the final yeah I'll give you the final remarks after Harrison and Malcolm ask their questions. Okay, Malcolm, I'll, is your mic I'll, good? I'll, I'll wait. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Tom. Malcolm, how's your mic now? All right, I'm going to give it one more try. I, I uh, turned the Bluetooth off. It's good. It's good now, bro. It's, it's good now. Though. It's good. Man, now. I'm telling you, we all getting hit by the technical bug today. First, I uh, gave it to Gorka and whatnot. It's more contagious than COVID, but um. Honestly, you know, I think it's a little unfair what Brian is saying, you know, about disgruntled or non-disgruntled, because in the business world, we have something where it's like, if you really want to get the truest view of a company, get somebody that's on the way out or that's left the company, because they can usually look at it with full perspective and sober eyes. So I like what Kyle said, because he's seen the good, he's seen the bad, but he's not disillusioned, but he's also not looking at it with rose-colored glasses trying to say, oh, this is okay. You know, the FBI is perfect, you know, and I just got to stick with it. So I think Kyle's accounts, number one, are extremely reliable. Number two, what I would just like to go ahead and look at is where, you know, when the FBI is basically prioritizing who to bust, we see every now and again that there were situations where they would, you know, publicize some of the accomplishments that they had. And so my mind goes back to the CSE, the child sexual exploitation materials. And why on earth, if they were in such regular communications with Twitter, and I know, Kyle, you might not have specific knowledge of this, but if they're in direct contact 
And they like to, you know, go after, say, things that are going to get them some good press. Why would they not at least bust one of these minor CSC rings or, you know, distribution operations on Twitter? Because, you know, I think it's bipartisan that we all think child sexual exploitation is bad, or at least I used to think. So why wouldn't they do that if they're communicating regularly and we know that Twitter can see our DMs and Twitter routinely had knowledge of accounts doing this. So um, my response to that, first of all, I, I don't have any special information about what Twitter was Every doing on your end. Me, I, and, and I, I think that's really <laughs> where the question, the question has to be, right? It's, it's what was Twitter's ability? What, why were they shielding people if they were? Um, why was it so successful? It sounds like it's been more successful. I will tell you this, the people in the FBI that work on what we call violent crimes against children or VCAC, they are among the most passionate and uh, maybe like almost zealots for that type of work because you can't be part of it and and just be it's not a, an everyday job for them it's a passion it's a drive these people like put in their heart and soul into it everybody i know that's ever worked it every time you get it it's about as the most righteous work that you can do in the fbi but it's not necessarily the most valuable or the most promotable and so those are that's a culture problem for the bureau i think um you know everybody i know that's worked it and and i'm friends with a number of folks one of my buddies my quantico roommate spent eight years as an analyst um, at the lithicum facility, which does nothing but you know dark web analysis and trying to hunt these things down, they are wildly passionate about doing it. And you know that 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 is one of the great things the FBI could do. It should have been the thing that they spent all their time doing. And in my opinion, instead of doing like the January sixth, you know, I'd love to see the nine eleven uh, type exercise executed on child sexual predators because I'm a father. I got you know three kids under the age of six years old. So like those people are evil to me, and I would put everything I have into it. You'd, you'd never send me home. But that's not well, the way the FBI works, and I'd, I'd love to know why Twitter didn't do it. That's really the real question for me. Mario, quick point. Please do. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit pissed off here because, uh, you know, I'm kind of fed up with, with listening to people like Krasenstein who've never worked with the FBI, never worked in the FBI. Let, let's listen to the, the, the people like Kyle who worked in there, served in the military, had the balls to become a whistleblower, or, or people like myself who've literally, before I went to the White House, trained thousands of agents, SOSs, and intelligence analysts who actually know the entity of which we are speaking. We're not sitting on the inside reading posts on Axios about this organization. And I want to quote what Kyle said on my radio show last week. There is a phrase inside the FBI why is this shield the agents carry so small? Because it is small in comparison to state and local uh, law enforcement. It is a small Leo badge. And and Kyle, what what is the explanation? What what did you say on my show? I think it's one of those apocryphal stories. But they always said that the badge is so small so that you can't hide behind it. Right. Um, so listen listen to what Kyle just said. The badge is so small because you can't hide behind it, because you're the most powerful law enforcement agency, not in America, but in the world. And what have we witnessed in just the last few years? Let's be clear. Why do we have Kyle Serafim? Why do we have two dozen whistleblowers? Because the FBI has become a political arm of one party, the FISA warrants. Do you know James Baker was the FISA guru at the DOJ? He's the guy that signed off on the secret warrants to, to spy on U.S. citizens because they worked for the Trump campaign. We've got 24 
FBI agents with loaded M4 rifles busting down the door of a pro-life preacher as his seven children are screaming, why are you taking my daddy, on a misdemeanor assault charge that was dismissed out of a local court four months previously. We've got the FBI using its tools with big tech to cancel people's accounts because they're what? Conservatives? Not because they're peddling child porn, not because they're working for Al-Shabaab or AQIP, but because they're pro-Trump. Let's be serious. The problem is politicized law enforcement and not a couple of bad apples. I told you the story three weeks ago from the Holy Land, seven weeks in the Trump administration. I've requested three FBI agents detailed to me who I had trained previously. And I was told off the record by a senior person, Seb, you're not getting those detailees to the West Wing because the seventh floor of the Hoover building looks at, at this administration and this president as the enemy. That way lies perdition. When you have, you know, a, an actress like Gina Carano have the balls to say on Instagram, hey, you know what? The death camps, Auschwitz, didn't start overnight. It began with the dehumanization of the other, of your neighbor. That's what we have in America today. So let's get serious. The big issue, and, and Carl can talk to this, is that after 9-11, Bush told Mueller that you are no longer a law enforcement agency. He said it at Camp David. You are now an intelligence agency. That's why the email addresses of every FBI agent ends in what? Kyle, tell them what two letters the FBI email system ends with. Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's at IC for intelligencecommunity.fbi.gov. They've made Bingo. it easier. So they, they reclassify that. But that's the first lesson I got at Quantico. They were like, you're part of the intelligence community now. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's I don't remember signing up to do that. Like, you know, there's something very silly about walking around D.C. when every single surveillance report. This is just what I saw with my eyes walking around on the street and I write it down and suddenly it gets stamped with the with a secret classification, secret and no foreign. Um, so I used to joke with people and tell people I was a secret agent for the FBI, not a special agent, because everything I wrote said secret on it. And that's kind of crazy. And I didn't do anything that was related to crime. The minute if I if, it, if somebody even alleged that my subjects were involved in a federal crime, somebody else took it. So there's entire swaths of the FBI that are not involved in criminal activity at all, um, as in investigating criminal activity. They're 100 percent focused on information for its own sake and for the sake of maybe turning it into a more operational you know, uh, intelligence gathering. That's that's not what a lot of people think. And if you don't know that, then then now you do Like you got to. You have to understand that that is a fundamental difference. And if, it happened, if, like you say, at, if the more. agency becomes an intelligence arm, the temperament is to fall into Leventi Berrier's description, also apocryphal of the KGB. Show me the man I, and I will show you the crime. A law enforcement agency is meant to investigate crimes that have occurred or are about to occur. They're not supposed to collect intelligence about future crimes or potential crimes or crimes my political adversary may commit. And that's what the FBI has sadly become. Sorry, for the but record, you, you don't, know if, you don't uh, know if they've done that, though. You don't know what uh, they were what investigating. The, what the hell are you, I wanna, Brian? I wanna, are you Brian, kidding Brian, me? Wanna, are you, you kidding me? Yeah, I wanna, with Mike Flynn, what did they do with... Uh, 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 I want to go quickly. Sorry, if you don't mind, uh, Brian, Brian and Sebastian, just two seconds. So, so I want to just introduce Congressman Thomas. Congressman, appreciate you coming on stage. Okay, is my mic on? It is. It is. is that your? You've been on Spaces yes, sir, before. Is. is that your first? Is that your first time? 
this will be the first time I've ever spoken really? on it's a, this space. It, it's 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 the well, first time from it's the first time for many, including Sebastian next year. I'm not sure about Tom as well. So uh, I appreciate you being here. Well, let let me just say you hear enough hot air from politicians all the time. So I just want to let you know I'm here to listen. And uh, the FBI was created by Congress. The FBI is funded by Congress. If there's any oversight that will happen on the FBI, DOJ, ATF, it will come from the Judiciary Committee. And that's the committee that I'll be serving on for the next two years. Awesome. So I'm, I'm here to listen to you all. Um, I think maybe some of, some of you saw where I put Merrick Garland on the spot and I made him watch a couple minutes awesome, of yeah. Ray Epps. I saw it. <laughs> uh, well this, is, this is their worst nightmare that I, I will be able to confront them for the next two years with the truth. And we will have people uh, from the highest levels in front of our committee. And there is no mute on my microphone for five minutes. And they are um, they're, they're going to be called to answer our questions. So if you all have questions, please engage me on Twitter. I'll, I'll be here in your spaces when I can. I found the Twitter files deeply disturbing. I've read them all, every one painfully, sometimes waiting 10 minutes for the next one um, with the rest of you. And uh, I'll end it there and just say, if you have ideas, please send them to me and my my DMs are open. I appreciate being here, Congressman. I, I do have, if you don't mind, ask you one question because I know you said you prefer to be, to be listening. Absolutely. But I'd love your, your take on the files so far. I know you said they're deeply disturbing. We did hear Kyle saying that that's Kyle and one other whistleblower. So the other whistleblower said that this is barely the tip of the iceberg. And Kyle confirmed that point. Um, would love your take on it. Well, I, I, uh, I know it's it's sort of a cliche now on Twitter, but in a closed door meeting, I told the rest of the Judiciary Committee that Elon has bought a crime scene and um, they seem to agree with me. And um, what we need to do, listen, the Twitter files are actually a roadmap for the subpoenas and the request for information and the and the interviews that we need to do in Congress. So I really appreciate what Elon and the reporters who are covering this have been able to put out there. But now it's up to the Judiciary Committee to look at where we need to go. They've called in the coordinates now. And um we are able to compel the FBI to give us the other side of the story. So I think that's the most important part of the Twitter files. And are you seeing bipartisan support um, be behind free speech on social media or is, is there still resistance or not people, not, you know, other, other senators not giving it enough importance? Well, let me say um, I'm friends with Ro Khanna. And I uh, was glad to see him show up in there. And I was glad to see that Elon Musk gave him a good shout out. He and I have uh, tried to intervene on the congressional war powers and also on freedom of speech. And so um, there, I think there will be bipartisan opportunities. The reality, though, is that the House of Representatives is kind of mob rule. And when you're in the minority, you are nothing. And when you're in the majority, um, then you do all the work for the for the body. So. Um, the Democrats are going to get really bipartisan on January 3rd now that we're the, in the majority. And one other really question quick, I have um, for you. 
Go ahead. Can I just ask a really quick question to uh, Rep. Thomas? Uh, I just wanted to let you know that your DMs are actually not open. So unless you follow people, they cannot DM you. Okay. Uh, But I was going to make a recommendation that maybe you start a thread where uh, people can list questions if it's easier that way under that thread. And then you can kind of see what's brought to the top based on what people like. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know what the term meant. My DMs are open. Do I follow you, Tara? You you do not, so I cannot message you. Okay. But I think I will, if you I'll, make, I'll fix that can, right yeah, now. And 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 you Perfect. can also make go into settings and then open up your DMs in settings. I think Towers was trying to say as well. So anyone could DM oh, you. Yeah. But you'll you'll probably need someone from your team uh, to help you manage the, the DMs. Another question for you: What got us to this level? This level of influence by the FBI in in the various social media platforms, and this level of bias at Twitter and and likely on other social media platforms by based on what we're seeing so far? Well, what got us here was complete and total lack of oversight. I mean, the, uh, until Jim Jordan became the ranking member on judiciary, basically all the chairman and the ranking member were chosen to tow the, the, the establishment line in Washington, D.C. And um, rather than call out particular Republican chairman, I'll just say they're pretty much all bad. Just all, all of the Republican chairman before Jim Jordan and everyone that served on the um, Intel committee. And I, I cannot believe, and I, and I don't mean to say anything bad about him, but why would Trump pick Devin Nunes, the guy who was in charge of all the programs that were used to spy on Trump? Why would he pick him to be the CEO of Truth Social? Like, this is the thing I can't understand. Um, he's the guy who rubber stamped the deep state. So uh, I've just got to say, I'll close that. I'll tie that up by saying that I do believe that um, Jim Jordan is one of the most honest people in Washington, D.C., and it's their first opportunity to get any real oversight over these organizations that have three letters. Ian? Uh, are, you re- are you really saying, uh, Congressman, that the man who got to the b- bottom of the Russia hoax is part of the deep state? You're saying that about Devin Nunes? I can't believe you just said that. He's he's re- Sebastian. He's reauthorized every program that was used to spy on Trump. And we have multiple debates. I've been in Congress for 10 years, multiple debates with that man where he he was the guy responsible for making sure all the money flowed to all of the spy programs and all the three letter organizations. So, so who, who, who did more to uncover? Uh, the fake Russia collusion than Devin Nunes. I, I mean, seriously, the, the the guy who actually uncovered the illegal leaks, the unmaskings, th- there's nobody else except Devin. Well, I, I can't believe you said that. Well, well, maybe he's done something redeemable, but I was in the skiff um, with all the folks in the pre-impeachment. Remember they put the, I think it was the Intel Committee and our Oversight Committee um, in the skiff, and I was down there with Jim Jordan and I think it, I, I think it was Devin Nunes, but the the other chairman was so reluctant to do anything that was basically Jim Jordan. Uh, the, the, had, the, the, same, the same Jim Jordan hasn't said anything about the J six prisoners for two years. That Jim Jordan, come on, Brian. Well, but you know we had Lieutenant Colonel Vindman there, and uh, I don't know. I I'm. Maybe he's done something redeeming. They all do something redeeming every now and then. Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell all do something redeeming. But 
even putting Devin in the same sentence as Mitch McConnell and, and, and Lindsay's a bad oh, joke. God, There's yeah. one, 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 person, one person who put his balls on the line to uncover yeah, no. Russian collusion, yeah. and it was Devin Nunes and Cash Patel. Come on, you know that. Well, give him, give him credit for that. I'll not take any of that away from him, but he called Justin Amash al-Qaeda's best friend in Congress when Justin Amash tried to do something about FISA, the FISA programs, the 215 and the 702. This is, uh, this is Tom Fitton, uh, Congressman Massey. Um, a question for you on, on Trump's presentation last, uh, I guess it was yesterday, uh, not the NFTs, which uh, seemed to work out well for him, but the, uh, the free speech reforms he was suggesting uh, from uh, that he would instill or implement if he were elected again. What struck me about a lot of it, some of which you know seem pretty good to me, is that we don't have to wait for him to be in office for something to be done if Congress wanted to get it done. Uh, did you see anything there that uh, you know Congress should be pursuing in terms of uh, dealing with this? Some of the frustrating thing whether it be Jim Jordan or anyone else in, in the Republican Congress, and I know that the exceptions are there always, uh, is the lack of leadership on the Twitter files, on the abuse of Trump, uh, on the suppression of tens of millions of Americans who are concerned about elections. And it seems to me Trump has given a roadmap for Congress, a Republican House, to do something about it in the next year. Have, have, have you, did you take a look at that directly? I, What's your general thinking about what should be done on this censorship issue from from your perspective, which tends to be a bit more iconoclastic than other Republicans, I admit, but uh, you, you think carefully about it. Well, I mean, my big disappointment was, it, and I advocated for this very heavily in the last few days of the Trump administration, was that Julian Assange wasn't pardoned and Ross Ulbricht's uh, sentence wasn't commuted and that... Uh, you know, that those things didn't happen. I did not see Trump's latest thing. Um, so I can't specifically speak to that. But if you, if you had some other question, I'd answer it. Okay. So I got a Well, question. he was essentially calling for banning on government from, uh, you know, communicating, you know, censoring Americans. Amen. Uh, de Amen. Defunding this disinformation activity that we've been complaining about. It's been exposed. You know, that, that type of restriction on government activity. You know, one thing we've learned is that the government's got to be censored. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. And, and amen. And by, and by the way, Tom, hats off to your organization. It, you basically uh, are usually in front of the oversight committee when I was on the oversight committee because you guys have a path to uh, through the courts to getting those documents through FOIA. And um, they just stonewall us in the House. We have to be able to cut their funding. They're, that's the only thing that will compel them to come before our committee and to and to give us the documents that we need. Otherwise, you'll get them uh, quicker than we can get them. But we could get them in in three hours if we would tell them with a credible threat of cutting their funding. So that's what we've got. Do you, think, you think there's going to be a change in approach in terms of documents for the next Congress? <sighs> I mean, they're going to be two years of oh, two years of complaining about the documents you're not getting. <laughs> You'll get them before us, Tom, if we're not willing to cut the funding. <laughs> That's so, an auger Thomas, well. I have a I have a question. So you know, uh, Twitter or rather Elon Musk has provided you with a roadmap on how to 
engage with uh, you know with the Fed, then and there's a, there's a huge paper trail, right? So you mentioned that you're going to FOIA all these people, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously you can just talk to the FBI and get those files from their end. Uh, are, do you have any intention of uh, going after companies like uh, you know Meta and Facebook and and all these other companies that have you know worked with uh, the FBI and the DHS hand in glove? More so than Twitter has, or maybe as much as much as as it has. Do you think this uh, all these files help? Well, listen, uh, Ian. It's great to hear your voice. I've seen your face for hey. six years and never heard your <laughs> voice. Uh, but it, it's great to hear from you. Uh, look, the the uh, oversight committee used to be called OGR, Oversight and Government Reform, and the Democrats changed it to OR Committee, the Oversight and Reform Committee to imply that we would go after private companies or that they would go after private companies. It'll be interesting to see when we get in the majority, if we change it back to OGR from OR. Uh, I am more of, uh, you know, I'm on this side of it. I'm in Congress. Uh, I think we should focus on stopping the government from compelling private companies from doing things. Um, If we can get to it from our end, instead of trying to, uh, compel companies to testify. I'm always uncomfortable when we, you know, we call these CEOs in and and put them on the mat when, in fact, it's the government that's using the force of the gun to get them to do these things. So, uh, you know, yes, we. But to your specific question, the other companies, yeah, you're right. My gosh, if this is going on at Twitter, it's absolutely going on everywhere else. But it's also being directed from the government to all of those other companies. So. I would start with the, uh, and we can't do FOIAs in Congress. That's what Tom Fitton does. We we uh, we should have more power. Sadly, if we don't, if we're not willing to cut their funding, but we should, and we should go after all of the communications from FBI, DOJ to Meta, Facebook, uh, Google, whatever. Uh, Kyle, oh yeah, you, you've had your hand up for a while, Kyle. Uh, by the way, just yeah. before you ask your call, uh, Thomas, just really appreciate your time uh, on the space. I know you, you've got limited time. Uh, Kyle, no, the mic is yours. Look, <laughs> Sorry, look, go the ahead. First go. Thing, the, the first go thing ahead, they tell you when you get elected is don't do your own social media. And that's the first rule I ignored. So um, <laughs> you've, you, 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 I'm glad you ignored it. In, indeed. Me hey, too. Congressman, I, I've got a, a request, uh, something for you guys to consider on the, uh, the Judiciary Committee. And I wish you guys would kind of take it to heart and see if it's something you can do. When you bring people like Chris Ray, Director Chris Ray, or you bring in the Attorney General, they have an, a literal army of people behind them that are willing to go do anything that they ask when it comes to information in real time. And so the answer, you know, I'm not familiar with that situation, which is what is very commonly seen. That's what I see when I watch these hearings. You know, Director Ray will, will weasel out, and I'll use that word very specifically. He, he runs away from answering difficult questions and then answers something on the same topic that someone that's maybe more ideologic aligned with them right afterwards. If you can put him to the spot, and have him send one of the dozens of minions. They've got a whole group of people standing behind him there that'll go get that information. They can bring it to him in real time, and uh, and he can wait. You know, he works for us, the people, and I would love to see him put on the spot and, and told to go and gather that information right now. Not, we'll send you a letter, not we'll look it up and let you know later, not we'll, you know, wonder if, the, if our lawyers will approve us giving it to you, like right now, because he can do that, and he has the ability to do that, and there are dozens of people in the FBI that would jump at the opportunity to bringing the director exactly who wants in that moment. So I'd love to see you guys put him to the fire like that and have him do yeah. his job. 
and real oversight, if that's possible. Oh, that's a great idea. And I've, I've wondered what kind of comebacks I could have to those sort of, uh, well, it's not our policy to provide that. If you, if you go back and watch when I asked Merrick Garland about how many uh, assets or agents of the federal government were present on January 6th, he says it's not our policy to comment on ongoing investigations. And they said, I'm not talking about specific investigation. So the, the question is, what do you say when they get to the end of that? I think the next time I'm going to say it, when they say it's our policy not to comment, I'll say it's my policy to introduce articles of impeachment, or it's my policy to cut your funding before you get back to the office uh, right. if you don't answer well, and, this question. And Congressman, with all due respect, too, those policies are developed by who? Because they're developed by the AG and the FBI director. So I have to fly on an FBI jet by policy. That's one decision of his away from no longer being a policy. And it's the same situation about commenting on active investigations. Those policies are they, they are at the pleasure of, of the attorney general and or the FBI director. They're internal policies. Those are not laws or rules that have to be followed. They can change them with the stroke of a pen. So I would encourage them to make better policies for transparency for the American people because I want to see it on all ends. Like, I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody getting uh, getting away with uh, with this kind of you know cover up. Oh, that, that and that's a great point. Um, but also, the oversight power of Congress is also above all of those policies, and they Correct. and they need to be told that. But when you're in the minority, which we have been for four years, you can't really make that stick. When you're in the majority, if you're if Kevin McCarthy and and Jim Jordan are willing to make that stick, we can make that stick. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.